Games rated E to M. Welcome to Nintendo Power Podcast. This episode, we dive into some of the coolest new features you'll want to check out in Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet. My name is Chris, and this episode, I'm joined by Ari from the Pokemon Company International. Hi, Ari. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. And also, Carolyn from Nintendo Treehouse. Hi, Carolyn. Hello. And uh, last but not least, Jason from the communications team at Nintendo of America. Welcome back, Jason. Thanks, Chris. Hello, everyone. Now, we've got a packed house today, which is perfect because we've got two big games to talk about, Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet. Now, these games will launch in just a couple of short days on November 18th, so everyone listening will have a chance to get their hands on them very soon. But first, I thought it would be cool to talk about some of the game's cool new features so players will know just what to look for. So is everybody ready to get started? Let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome. All right, great. So to kick things off, I'd like to start with what seems like a really big change to me with the series, which is that uh, with these new games, players can explore the open world of the Paldea region at their own pace and really choose their own path through the game. So... Ari and Carolyn, can you talk maybe a little bit about exactly what this means and how it changes the traditional Pokemon experience that people are used to? Sure, I can kick us off. So these games are the first truly open world games in the Pokemon series, um, meaning that uh, players from the get-go have this open world that they're able to explore, and they're able to go in whichever direction they choose. It's nothing dictated by the story. They can explore all of the terrains of the Paldea region. There's there's various different terrains, and they can really do it at whichever pace and whichever direction they'd like to. In more traditional, or I should say previous entries in the Pokemon RPG series, there was like a set path, meaning that there were routes um, that players had to follow, and all of that's gone in Pokemon Scarlet, Pokemon Violet, and there's just that truly fully open world. Yeah, it really is play any way, your way, however you want, and there's actually three paths that you can go down into, right? So, I mean, I'm going to start off with my favorite, which is Victory Road, just because that's a bit more to harken back to the traditional gameplay aspect you're talking about. That's the gym leaders that you battle against. That's the badge collecting that we all know and love. But there's also Starfall Street and Path of Legends. So that's three different main stories that we can head into. Exactly. What, what's your favorite, actually, Carolyn? Um, I'm, I think I'm leaning towards Path of Legends. Okay. Yeah. I think it's, it's the, you know, a, a little bit of a, there are aspects of it that are similar to what we've seen in previous Pokemon games. But I think for me, that one offered me a little bit more of the most surprise as, a, as I was doing my first playthrough of the games. But to go back to, Chris, your point about the open world, to Ari's note, there are these three overarching stories. And they're not. there's no way that the player needs to do them, no order. They can just take it on in whichever order they can choose to do certain elements of Starfall Street first and then go to the gyms and do a whole bu- challenge a whole bunch of gyms and then go back and try the Path of Legends. So really it is choose your own adventure in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Well, Jason, hearing all that, being a huge Pokemon fan, I know going way, way back, which path do you think you're maybe going to pay a little bit more attention to first? I am really drawn to the Starfall Street uh, as the kind of, um, I guess, traditionally the bad guys or the bad teams in Pokemon, um, these uh, these folks seem to have a lot of personality and character. And um, it's really interesting to see 
how their challenges differ from, say, the Path of Legends or uh, Victory Road. So uh, there's a lot of attitude there. I think if we're really getting down to it, it's the tood. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I believe it's Team Star we're taking on this time, right? Yes, Team Star. Yes. And the way you challenge them is also very uh, unique to these games. They have these bases that you're able to infiltrate. And so you take on a bunch of the lower members of Team Star. And if you're successful, then you get to take on a big boss at the end. And just the entire gameplay loop of that whole Team Star, Starfall Street story is um, just, I think, a very much a breath of fresh air for the Pokemon series. Mm Mm-hmm. I think I've got a pretty good um, uh, handle on Victory Road and Starfall Street now, but can we talk a little bit more about Path of Legends? I think you uh, take on some gigantic Titan Pokemon in this one, right? Yes, that's right. So Um, this is a a path that you take on with your classmate Arvin. He's on the search for Urban Mystica, and it's this special thing he's looking for, but he needs your help, and you fight these huge, humongous... This is one of my favorite parts, actually. There's this giant cloth, and it's just a giant crab. That's, like, so awesome, crab Pokemon that you have to battle against. But we can't say more than that. No, we can't (laughs) say too much more because we want to keep the surprise for the listeners and the fans out there. But, yeah, so there are these giant Titan Pokemon who are guarding these rare ingredients called Herbamistica, as as Ari mentioned. And, um, you know, part of that entire Path of Legends story is trying to figure out what it is that makes them Titan Pokemon and what's so special about these rare ingredients. So, yeah, looking forward to people enjoying that that storyline and learning more about all of that mystery. Enjoying the giant cloth. That's (laughs) really really what it is. Well, of course, no matter which path you choose, right, it all starts with uh, choosing that first pat, uh, partner Pokemon. So um, can we talk maybe a little bit about those? And I want to hear from each of you, who you if you've already decided who you're going to choose. Oh, well, there are the three new partner Pokemon in these games. Um, Spurgatito, the grass cat Pokemon, Fuecoco, the fire croc Pokemon, and Quaxly, the duckling Pokemon. And um, they are, you know, the traditional grass, fire, water, um, three types of Pokemon. Um, personally, I've played a lot of the games, so I don't want to put a biased opinion there. So I'm just going to go with when I first saw these characters revealed, what was my initial gut reaction? And I was team Spurgatito from day one. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Spurgatito. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. Uh, I've, I've, uh, my last several Pokemon games have chosen, uh, grass starters. Pre- prior to that, I, I think, uh, the first three or four games, I chose all water. So I made a a hard shift at some point. Chespin was uh, from Pokemon X and Pokemon Y was was really what pulled me. Um, But this, I will say, it's a really contentious three partners. These are some of the most diehard uh, reactions I've seen to each individual one. Um, But yeah, I, I think... All things being equal, I think I'm I'm gonna pick up uh, Sprigatito right away. <laughs> All right, so I have an intense backstory for this one. So, oh, let's go. <laughs> I am always team Team Fire, Fire Fire Starter. Uh, I always want to have Fire types as my first partner Pokemon. Mm-hmm. When I first saw all of them, Quaxley is so cute, so right. adorable, and it was just very difficult for me. And at first, I was Team Quaxley. All but that attitude. Go back I know. to what Jason it was saying about the tune. The attitude is <laughs> attitude is a key word here. But uh, unfortunately, the more I just looked at Toy Coco deep in the eyes, that fire <laughs> type just kept calling to me again. So I am Team Toy Coco. 
It's adorable. It's the fire croc Pokemon. It it's is. just the the three teeth. It's the teeth. Really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Chris? I think that works out great because I was going to say Quaxley, and I think this uh, might be in addition to Quaxley just being adorable. Um, I, I, the name in and of itself just appeals <laughs> to me. Like that is such a fun name, like Quaxley. Especially in, in the company of Fue Coco and Sprigatito, <laughs> and you got Quaxley. Yeah. The names are really great this time around, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. not just for the partner Pokemon, but some of the other newly revealed Pokemon, like Lechonk, Fido. Oh, yeah. Fido is very great. Great naming. Yeah. Wiglet? Come Wiglet, on. right? Oh, excellent. <laughs> Smoliv. I was going to say, is anyone going to mention Smoliv? Come on. <laughs> Smoliv is so And cool. then, of course, going all the way from your first partner Pokemon to the legendary Pokemon, which uh, I think is, as usual for these types of games, you have a different one per game, one for Pokemon Scarlet, one for Pokemon Violet. What can you tell us about those? Well, uh, the legendary Pokemon in Pokemon Scarlet is Coridon, and for Pokemon Violet, it's Miraidon. And as you mentioned, they are you know unique to their respective uh, titles. Uh, but what makes these legendary Pokemon unique is that um, the player at some point in the game will be able to ride them. And not just on their backs, but be able to fly on their backs, swim, climb. And so these legendary Pokemon are really key to that open world exploration element of these games. So, yeah, and that's something absolutely brand new for the Pokemon series. And they're also just so gosh, gosh darn cute. Right? Too. Yeah, they also have attitude. They have personality. I think, you know, they're definitely a part of your team and just yeah. so much fun to be around. Very distinctive too. The the styles of each of the the legendaries is is um, more so distinct than I think uh, the last few that I've seen. And so the the kind of very bright and colorful uh, Miraidon and then Coridon is really just feathers everywhere, and it's it's really great. The the design of them is very wonderful. Very legendary. Very legendary. <laughs> Now, one other thing that uh, strikes me as being uh, a huge new addition to this game is um, the kind of multiplayer options that you have. Um, can you talk a little bit about those and, and in particular, you know, just being able to explore this big open world with another player? Sure. So the systems, um, you can connect Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet either via local local wireless or um, online multiplayer. And you as a player can connect with up to three other players. Um, and it doesn't matter. You can connect. If you have Pokemon Scarlet, you can connect with Pokemon Violet and vice versa. And there's many different um, ways that you can interact with each other. One notable new element is that you're able to explore the open world together. So if you've connected, say... Uh, four systems, so you as a player with uh, three other players, you can all be riding legendary Pokemon. So on one screen, you can essentially see four of these legendary Pokemon, um, you know, going off into the distance or somebody can be in one area and another could be in another area of the map. And um, yeah, so you just really in that one screen have all of that visibility and really feel like you're connected in the adventure. And there's, um, you know, a, a few of the traditional elements um, for Pokemon multiplayer, such as battling, trading. Yeah, I can't forget battling mm -hmm. and trading. Um, in this case, also, there's picnicking. I, I've yes. been sorry, I'm just <laughs> so excited about to talk about picnicking because there's a sandwich making game you can essentially do, and it's utter chaos. <laughs> it is so much fun. Like, I never knew watching someone make a sandwich or making your own sandwich in a game could be so funny, but you know, it, it's a lot. And then you get to enjoy it with your Pokemon party afterwards. So, there is a benefit too this part of the game. Exactly. So systems that are connected can choose their own ingredients and stack their own sandwich. 
I wish that well, I'm kind of thankful that sandwich sandwich making in, in my life is is not as harrowing as that can be. <laughs> um, I, I know it is risky if I drop a piece of cheese that I just like my cats will get it and then I'll never <laughs> have that piece of cheese back. But um, just in, in the in the mini game uh, for picnics, you know, you really have to be a stand, a true sandwich artist and, and make sure that you're uh, aligning your ingredients to the needs of your party and. Um, you know, we've seen some pretty wild sandwiches, like onion and cheese, and you've got you've got some uh, bacon and chorizo and ham, just really loading it up. And uh, yeah, the 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 personality of each sandwich is is uh, very distinct. And it's strategic. You have to make sure that the people you're playing with, you know, have the right uh, cheese to bacon uh, ratios going <laughs> on, and that you're not. Over, over stacking one side of the sandwich, so it's you know lopsided. It's a lopsided. game of strategy, for exactly. sure. <laughs> and then in addition to just being like crazy fun, it also kind of has a, a an impact on the game a little bit, right? Like in terms of the, the results, the effects of what you make. Yes, that's right. So um, by eating sandwiches, you'll get certain effects and, um, uh, you know, every player will have the chance to explore for themselves what those ingredients to effect combinations will yield. So, yeah. <laughs> And of course, your Pokemon also get to enjoy a sandwich. So yes, that yeah. is that is probably the best effect for me. It's just seeing their happy faces afterwards. At the end of the day. At the end it, of the day, yeah. that's all that matters. Assuming you do a good job making this sandwich. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? I'm, I'm assuming we're all good sandwich makers. <laughs> and then you got to take some fun photos at the picnic too, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I can't forget that. And that's another thing you can do in multiplayer is take pictures with your friends after, you know, a long day of sandwich making. You want to commemorate it with a good <laughs> selfie. Yeah, there's um, various emotes. I'm personally a fan of like the emote where it looks like you're like a monster growling. I don't know. You really, yeah, exactly. You put your claws up. Um, so I think it's going to be really fun for players to be able to engage with each other that way as well. And then when it's time to maybe get a little more serious, I don't know, I think there's also like multiplayer terror raid battles, right? Yeah, so terror raid is really exciting. It's basically all-out type of attack. Nobody has to wait for anyone's turn. You just go for it. And on top of that, at the end of the day, you get to capture a really rare Terra-type Pokemon. Yes, exactly. So the raid battles in Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet, they've evolved a little bit since the raid battles in Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield, where now there is this uh, terrestrialized Pokemon in the middle that all of the players are trying to to defeat because if you defeat, like Ari mentioned, you're able to capture it. Um, and so this Pokemon has this terrestrialized transformation going, and you're not actually able to capture the Pokemon unless you weaken it enough. And so unlike in Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield, where it was turn-based, so you had to wait for every player to choose which move or whatever they wanted to do, in Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet, these terror raid battles are now time-based. So there's a timer and you have to, you know, work together to try and defeat this, this terrestrialized Pokemon um, before the timer runs out. And as Ari mentioned, uh, terrestrialization, that's just a new feature that uh, players are going to have a lot of fun figuring out strategically. But sometimes in these terror raid battles is where you can find a Pokemon with a rare terror type, meaning that the type of the Pokemon may be a bit unexpected based on what you'd think. So for instance, you could have a a Pikachu that's normally a electric type. And in a terror raid battle, you might end up with a fire terror type Pikachu that you're trying to take down. So yeah, looking forward to to seeing how terrestrialization, terror raids, and terror Pokemon all play into the overall 
I don't know, competitive landscape and trading and collection aspects of the game. It also just looks really cool. Like yeah. the transformation sequence itself and then they become these shimmering, glimmering forms. It's it's really incredible to look at. Yeah, even the dens are there's a lot of treatment to the den that kind of reflects the the Terra type and uh, the, you know there's reflections of the the Pokemon itself and I, I won't say too much more because it's really something to behold but um, it's a it's a great new feature for the game as someone who played a lot of the Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield raid battles um, this one this version is going to keep me on my toes a little more uh, because at a certain point I understand. I'm going into a raid battle against this Pokemon. These are their typings, and I'm bringing this in. Now it's like, oh, well, it could be something else. So it really is, like Carolyn mentioned, uh, teamwork. There's a lot of teamwork that goes into it, and there are a couple new features uh, built into the actual uh, battle system itself that will really uh, elevate that. So uh, excited for people to check it out. It is definitely one of my favorite features of uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet. Yeah, it sounds awesome. I'm kind of jealous I haven't gotten to see nearly as much of this game as you guys, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, we touched on this a little bit. Obviously, each version of the game has its own legendary Pokemon, but there are a couple other differences between the two games as well. Is there anything more you can share about that? Yeah, so there are different academies that you'll be able to attend, and I mean, that's something that we would also love players to discover what other things are. But just for the academies itself, I'll say in Pokemon Scarlet, you get to attend Naranja Academy. And then in Pokemon Violet, you'll be attending Uva Academy. And, I mean, costumes look cool. You get a, a more scarlet, orangey-looking costume versus a um, violet-purple costume. Yeah, there are also um, unique professors for each of the versions of the game. So there's Professor Sada in Pokemon Scarlet and Professor Turo in Pokemon Violet. And this is the first time in the Pokemon RPG series that there have been different professors depending on the version. So that's something else to look forward to. Yeah, it seems like a lot of good reasons to maybe partner up online and maybe explore the other version of a game and get to see some places and some people that you don't normally encounter. Yeah, there are also version-exclusive Pokemon, like um, the newly revealed Arma, Arma, Rouge Arma Rouge for Pokemon Scarlet and Ledge for Pokemon Violet. So more and more to come, more and more to discover. Awesome. And can, can we talk a little bit more about the academies, like what you do there? Is it more of a story setting, or is it a place where you would do certain activities? Well... As Ari mentioned, you know, we don't want to give away too much, right. but essentially the Academy is the part of the setting of the game. So uh, when you start a Pokemon Scarlet or Pokemon Violet, you are a student of this Academy and the Academy director, a character named Clavel, um, gives you an independent study assignment called the Treasure Hunt. And so this actually ties back in nicely to those three stories that we mentioned at the beginning, which um, these three stories are actually part of your Treasure Hunt. Um, but uh, how it all ties in together, you know, is part of the greater storyline of the game. So What I can mention is that's where you'll meet your classmates, Arvin, mm -hmm. Nimona. I mentioned Arvin earlier for Path of Legends. Nimona is this awesome trainer who loves battles. And then there's also Penny as well. So... This is where all the characters are coming from and, you know, a lot to explore and enjoy there. A lot of cool people you get to meet. Nothing really to add beyond uh, I just wish my studies were uh, quantified as a treasure hunt. <laughs> right. <laughs> awesome. So I wanted to ask, as, as you know, I assume you guys have played quite a, a bit of the game at this point. Um, what does it feel like kind of from a fan perspective? You know, all of these changes that we've talked about seem like um, – of course, at, at its core, it's still kind of everything you love about Pokemon. 
But um, this kind of being a, a, a different type of Pokemon experience in a way, how does it feel when all that comes together and, and you have this different type of experience with this open world experience with all these changes? I mean, how would you kind of describe that to a, a long-term fan? Jason, you want to go first? or <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think the we, we've seen uh, in recent entries in the series, Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield and Pokemon Legends Arceus, uh, just kind of a, a widening um, breadth of experiences that people can have and uh, a little more of the breaking of the route structure and uh, the gym structure, especially with um, Pokemon Legends Arceus. And this still uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet still very much feel like um, the, the Pokemon I grew up with. Like I, I know I can go to a gym and, and I have a rival and I pick my partner, but there's just a, quite a bit of joy when you first get out into the world and Pokemon are populating it and you see them maybe interacting or you see a waypoint in the distance. It, it really does feel like, um, like Carolyn mentioned earlier, you can choose your adventure. You, you uh, really have a lot of agency in a way that I think is more prevalent in this entry than any other entry. To add to that, I, I would describe it as the Pokemon game I've always wanted. You know, like who doesn't want to walk outside your home and just see a small live in the grass? Like, you know, and, and you really can just go out and explore and nothing feels too far in the distance because you've got Coridon and Miraidon, they got your back. You know, you're, you're really, and I feel like that's the other element of it, that friendship and that that bonding and the multiplayer aspect of it comes in that way too, where it really does feel like an experience you can have, not just with others, but also with your partner Pokemon, and that's all that really matters at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, just to go off of both of those sentiments, it, it really feels it at, at the core, at its core, uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet are uh, the traditional Pokemon experience. It's just that so many of the new elements, just and pardon my pun, have evolved the game into something uh, <laughs> into something that's very special for new or returning players to experience. Um, in that you can still, to Jason's point, have your encounters at the gyms, collect badges, um, take on an enemy team. You have all of these new, newly introduced Pokemon that you're experiencing for the first time, trying to see what their types are, and then you have these new elements of the game. That, that just add to that framework, such as teratypes being introduced now. So maybe that Pikachu isn't an electric type Pikachu anymore, or, you know, that uh, team, that enemy team is now, uh, they're actually fellow classmates at the school. And, and so it's just ways that they're taking the traditional narrative of a Pokemon game, so to speak, and just really making it feel like something fresh and something new and something with a lot of elements of choice for each player to discover on their own. So every real, every experience as you play through the game is completely different. To build on something you mentioned, the, the idea that this will be the first Pokemon game for some people, mm -hmm. I would have just lost my mind as, what was I, like 10 years old or something, having all of these like really unique interactions and having the world, it, back then it was, you know, on screen, it was still mystifying, but now it's, it's just so much more what was in my head was on screen or will be on screen. So I think to, to your point, Carolyn, it's a really great place for people to jump in. Um, it, it's the most alive the world of Pokemon has felt. Uh, so 
That's exactly it for me. That's what I mean when I say it's the Pokemon game I've always wanted, right? Like the multiplayer aspect does add in what I was experiencing at 10 years old. We're like, wow, I can actually battle with another, you know, play a game with another individual. But now in Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet, you literally will be in the game with, together. And I think at the heart of Pokemon and trading and battling other trainers, being able to explore and adventure with other trainers, that's just to evolve it to the next level, right? <laughs> that's exactly what we're talking about here. And that's that's super awesome. And and that means that even experienced trainers will be able to play with newcomers and, and be able to share that joy. So it'll be really awesome. Chris, I have a question for you. Yeah. What was your first Pokemon game? Oh, wow. You know what? I didn't play the original Pokemon games on Game Boy until later. Um, the first one that I actually completed, I think, was Pokemon Diamond. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it came a little bit later, and uh, I've just kind of been trying to to catch up ever since. But um, but it definitely, you know, as someone who, um, you know, I'm, I'm probably, I'm just going to go and say quite significantly the oldest one at this table. <laughs> and I cut my teeth on the original, you know, NES and the original Game Boy as they were coming out. So, um, you know, I love that the games have always given me a certain kind of of that it taps into something that a lot of those old school games had, but mm -hmm. also it's always managed to stay modern, which I think speaks to the series' you know, longevity and why it continues to connect with so many new generations of players. So it's been fun uh, to follow it as it's been going along and also to see like my kids you know, play their first Pokemon games and, and see how it continues to appeal to them. So, um, so it's, a, it's a franchise that I've always, in a way, kind of like tried to catch up with a little bit, but I've always really appreciated it and had so much fun with these games. Yeah, I think, you know, Pokemon has existed for so long now that we're seeing as you're, you know, to exactly your point, these multi-generational households that are either, you know, discovering it for the first time or have were players of older games and are rediscovering it. And so I can't wait to see those discussions start to happen once the game is released of everyone's different experience coming into this new game, either with no knowledge of the Pokemon franchise at all or with all, all the knowledge from way back in from the original games on the Game Boy. Um, yeah, because it's, it's just, uh, yeah, there's something for everyone in these games. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the opportunity of, um, you know, playing with my son, you know, at the same time and exploring the world together. And, and, uh, and you know, in my mind, I'm kind of teaching him to play, but it, it's almost certainly going to be the other way around. Uh, <laughs> but that should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. I know, you know, there's so much in this game we could just go on and on and on about it, but I know um, you're both really busy with these games just about to launch, uh, so we have to let you go. But thanks so much for stopping by. It was really great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you again for having us, Chris. Um, yes. You know, always happy to talk about all things Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, we are here to talk about Pokemon anytime. So thank you for having us. Awesome. We'll definitely take you up on that again. Um, all right, Jason, so you're going to stick around and we're going to move on to the Players Pulse Pulse. As always, we asked Nintendo fans on Twitter three questions just for fun. And for the first question, we asked people to pick a vacation destination. And we only gave them two choices, Pilot Wing 64 and Wave Race 64, two, uh, two great uh, relaxing games. I guess they can be a bit stressful, but, but two places I certainly would love to spend a lot of time uh, either uh, riding the, the waves or just uh, hang gliding above a beautiful island. Um, so, Jason, which would you choose? You're going to take a vacation, you're going to get zapped inside of Pilot Wing 64 or Wave Race 64? I have to say, I, the the memories I have of playing Pilot Wing 64 and I think it was the gyrocopter and you could go all around the United States and there was like a giant thing that was chasing you or you were chasing. 
uh, yeah, pilot wings for sure. I think there's uh, there's just so much freedom and being able to fly around. So yeah, uh, that's what I would choose too. And this was really interesting to see the results of the voting because it is as evenly split as I've ever seen in any of these polls that we've done. It's essentially fifty fifty, but um, Wave Race sixty four at fifty point four percent. Got the the slight edge there, so that's technically our our winner. Um, but of course, both of these games came out recently on Nintendo Switch Online Plus expansion packs, so uh, good opportunity to pop back in there. I guess we're we don't really have any summer left, but it's it's always summer on Nintendo sixty four. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely true. I I do see the the logic there of of a nice you know uh, tropical setting and 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 the waves and and everything. But uh, yeah, I think I think for me, just uh, give me a wingsuit and. I'll be good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next up, we asked people to pick a snack. And the three choices were Lon Lon Milk, of course, from the Legend of Zelda series, a Maxim Tomato from the Kirby series, or a Super Mushroom from, of course, the Super Mario series. Um, what's your choice there? I they're all, all three are very intriguing. And I have to say the Kirby Maximum tomato, I feel like I would just get so full. Um, <laughs> but of course, it raises your health back to 100%, so you'd feel better than ever before. That's true. Uh, I think that the one that piques my curiosity to the most, uh, curiosity the most as a Zelda fan is, of course, the Lon Lon Milk. The, the mystical powers of the Lon Lon <laughs> Milk throughout the series history, uh, I think, has me stuck there. But I, it's hard to turn down. Like, what I've wondered since I was a, a kid what a, a, a super mushroom would, you know, would do, but uh, yeah, I have to say Lon Lon. I'm sticking. That's my final answer. <laughs> well, uh, the fans agreed pretty heartily, actually. Almost 50% of the uh, vote went to Lon Lon Milk. Um, I, w- I would have chosen Super Mushroom because, you know, you get giant, you stomp around, you break some bricks. It's a fun day. Uh, and then finally, the final poll was we asked people to pick a pet. Um, and the options were Chain Chomp from the Super Mario series, Metroid, of course, from Metroid, one of those little gooey things that wants to uh, suck on your skull there, and uh, Octorok from the Legend of Zelda series or Small Fry from Splatoon 3. What do you think there? Chain Chomp, Metroid, Octorok, or Small Fry? This time, let me ask you, what do you think the fans chose instead of what you would choose necessarily? That is a tough one. I would think that they would choose... Uh, the the Splatoon three hype is so recent, but I'm kind of leaning towards Chain Chomp is, is what the fans chose. We know Chain Chomp would be kind of a timeless pick, but your your first instinct was the right one. Uh, Small Fry got almost fifty percent of the vote. Wow! So the Splatoon three hype is still very real. I would pick a Metroid, assuming I could train it not to suck my own life force, but you know. Hanging around, the little. Big, the mother brain ever shows up, it'll protect you. Yeah, a little bit of a deal breaker if that's the case. Um, Octorok, I just have such a, again, Zelda fan, but bad history there. Uh, <laughs> especially as a kid, my reflexes weren't quite great. That gave me a lot of trouble. So, uh, I think I would go with the chain chomp personally. Of course, if you could train that Octorok to spit rocks at your enemies, then that, you know maybe not so bad. That's uh, that's convincing for sure. All right. Well, next we're going to move on to Nintendo Power Game Club. And this is where you and I will both uh, recommend a game that we've been enjoying. And the games we're going to be talking about this time are Tunic from Finji and Shovel Knight Dig from Yacht Club Games. So, Jason, would you like to start? Um, tell us about Tunic and why you've been enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
y'all play Tunic. It's it's a fantastic game that will appeal to a lot of retro fans, to fans of The Legend of Zelda, to fans of Soulsborne games, and to fans of games that have layers of mystery. Um, the, the kind of core gameplay of Tunic does feel pretty similarly to a Soulsborne or a Zelda game where it's, you know, a lot of um, sword and shield play and enemies kind of spread throughout an overworld that you're really trying to navigate through without dying and losing your money. And then you can go and recollect your money if, you're, if your character, uh, which is an adorable little fox. Uh, in a green in, little tunic. In a green little tunic with a, a nice little pink, uh, I could say it's a, a scarf, but, um, you know, it, it might not be. Um, anyway, he uh, will go throughout this uh, overworld that, again, is, is very uh, familiar to, to fans of, uh, of adventure games. But the kind of core driving um, gameplay mechanic for Tunic is is not so much the the combat gameplay or or even the exploration of the island. Throughout the overworld and uh, the underworld areas as well, you'll come across pages and they're kind of glowing and and you'll immediately uh, wonder what they are. And without giving too much detail, because it, it really, um, I, I mentioned Fez uh, as as kind of a, a similar game. A lot of that game is uncovered through exploration. And as you find these pages, you will actually be putting together pages of a game manual that harkens back to the 8-bit and 16-bit game manuals. Uh, again, going to reference The Legend of Zelda or, or Link's Adventure. And it is done in a similar style. And there are all sorts of little graphics that um, relay the controls and uh, what certain items in the game do and maps. Um, but main core conceit here is the language in the manual is by and large not English. There are English sections that kind of help give you guidance and will immediately kind of pull you in. But any uh, language that you encounter in the world and, and a lot of what's in this game guide that you can pull up at any time is in this runic language. Um, and so as I've been going through Fez, uh, a game that was released in 2012, an indie game, uh, had a similar mechanic uh, that you uncovered and there was um, uh, language all throughout the game. And so I'm just kind of waiting for that like key to to help me decipher this language. But Without having that, it's still an absolute joy to play for a fan of, of old school adventure games. The music is wonderful. Uh, the style is is fantastic. And um, it's, it's just a, a really cool world to explore. There's um, a lot of moments of return like the um, Metroid games or, uh, or the Soulsborne uh, games I mentioned early where, earlier where you will – um, you know, be underneath a well and then all of a sudden you come out uh, the secret passage and you're like, oh, I'm on this beach that I visited earlier and now I can just get back here really easily. So um, I'm not super far in. I think I would say about six hours in and I don't think it's too much longer than about double that, um, but really enjoying myself and uh, I, I really can't sing its praises enough. Well, you've got me super excited to check it out. It was already on my list. And of course, I love a lot of those games that you just referenced that you, you think are, are similar in some ways. And um, so 
especially you know when I when I first looked at it, the, the game that came to mind was um, the Legend of Zelda: um, a Link to the Past for Super NES. Yeah. Uh, even though it's not a pixel art game, it does have that. It has a very clean, colorful look, a little bit cartoony. Um, and, uh, and it certainly seemed to have, um, some of the same action, but then I was surprised when I heard that despite it's really kind of cute look, um, it was very, in a way, deceptively a very challenging game. Very so, much so. So that got my attention as well. So I'll definitely be playing that one sooner rather than later. Excellent. And then I chose Shovel Knight Dig. I mean, anybody who's heard probably a single episode of this podcast before knows I'm a huge fan of the Shovel Knight series. I go on and on about it. So uh, um, I was really looking forward to this one. Now, um, it is exactly what I what I knew it would be, which is not a mainline, you know, Shovel Knight game or a very direct sequel to the original games in that it doesn't have exactly the same play style. Um, but it does have a lot of the core elements and a lot of the same kind of feeling as those first games. So if you played and enjoyed um, either uh, Shovel Knight, Shovel of Hope, which was the main campaign, or any of the additional campaigns they added through DLC over the years, um, I think there'll be you'll feel right at home when you pick this game up, but there's still a lot to learn uh, about how it progresses. Um, instead of a side-scrolling or more traditional kind of classic side-scrolling um, uh, progression through the game, um, it's really you're digging down. So you start on the surface, and at the top there's like a little shop that has certain items, and um, as you progress through the game, um, the surface will be inhabited by more and more characters that you can kind of talk to. Some of them might be able to help you out, and some of them are just kind of there for fun. Um, but um, every run that you make, you basically start back at the top and you dig down. And as you go down, uh, you are kind of, um, you know, I guess instead of a side scroller, you would say it's just a top to down scroller, right? So you're, it's not like you're constantly digging in the dirt like a like a dig dug or something. Yeah. You know, people remember that classic arcade game. It's more like, uh, or even SteamWorld Dig, um, which is more recent. It's more like as you go down, you're encountering. Um, you know, screen after screen of like puzzling and uh, or platform action type challenges. So in that way, it feels very much like, you know, Shovel Knight. You're whacking people um, with your shovel. You're, you're jumping on them with your shovel like you did in the first game. Um, but um, there is a certain pace you have to keep because if you linger too long at any one screen, maybe trying to search out some secret items, um, a giant saw blade kind of appears at the top of the screen and will will kind of chase you until you get out ahead of it, and then it'll leave you alone again. So it is a game where there's a certain amount of time left for exploration, but uh, but not too much. They want you to keep the action going. Um, but there are definitely a lot of secrets to find, and the progression, the screens that you actually go through, are kind of randomized every time. So um, depending on what area of the game you're in, they'll have a certain theme, a certain similar enemies. Um, in certain kind of stitched together sequences um, that are kind of, um, you know, uh, were really crafted to be experienced in a certain way. But those pieces of the puzzle are kind of rearranged every time you die and go back down again. So um, the level's constantly changing. But once you pass a certain um, number of um, kind of checkpoints, they're not checkpoints where you save in the traditional sense, but um, as you go along through a, a part of the level, you can uh, you can collect these gears, and if you have enough gears to put into the checkpoint, you'll get back uh, like a life replenishment or something like that to help you keep going. And then eventually, you reach an area boss, and the bosses are really cool, just like they were in the original Shovel Knight game. Um, and um, and after you proceed through all the different themed kind of areas with a boss at each end, of course, you reach the the final boss in the end of the game. But at any point during that descent. 
um, even if you're right before the final boss, if you die, you get kicked all the way back up to the surface again. Now, the good news is that there's someone up there um, who appears there pretty shortly after you be begin the game who, um, for a small fee, will send you back down to any of the areas you've already reached. So you don't have to go through the whole thing again unless you want to. Um, there are certain advantages to playing that because you build up more kind of items and and uh, power-ups as you go along. But, um, you know, I don't always enjoy that type of kind of, um, I don't know if you'd call that a, a roguelike or a roguelite Light, yeah. experience. But um, um, I do enjoy this game quite a bit. Um, I still, you know, kind of prefer the more traditional side-scrolling Shovel Knight, but as a spin-off game, had a lot of fun with it. It wasn't super long, although it was super challenging, and there's a lot of replay value to it. Um, so especially for the price, it's it's a no-brainer, I think, if you're a Shovel Knight fan. Um, but it is quite a mix of, of what you love about Shovel Knight and stuff that's totally new to the series. So definitely worth checking out, I think, if you like the original. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds really neat. I have gotten a lot of mileage out of um, games like Spelunky uh, and, and Rogue Legacy, and it sounds like there's a little bit of that uh, in there as well, along with the kind of SteamWorld dig or uh, I don't want to say. Originally, I was like Dig Dug, but yeah, no, you, you've <laughs> definitely made the case that it's quite a bit more than that. So uh, definitely one I'll, I'll check out. Uh, it seems pretty, uh, pretty cool and very replayable, which I always love. A quick little replayable game. For sure. And I did mean to point out, too, that, uh, you know, Shovel Knight's known for having great 8-bit uh, era kind of inspired graphics, probably a little better than you could have actually done in an 8-bit <laughs> machine. But basically, that's the theme. And this time, they've upped it to kind of a 16-bit, like a supercharged 16-bit look. And uh, it was nice to kind of see familiar characters um, like Shovel Knight and some of his supporting cast with the extra little bit of fidelity, yeah. uh, but still totally nostalgic if you remember the old 16-bit systems. Can't wait for Shovel Knight 64. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they keep uh, raising the stakes there. Yeah. All right, so we also went online and asked fans to recommend a favorite game, and they had a lot of great responses, and I have three of them here to share, uh, starting with Mr. GameCube, who, uh, who said that he's really been enjoying Persona 5 Royal. And as he said, it is my favorite game of all time, and to finally be able to play it again on Nintendo Switch is truly a fitting experience. The story, characters, music, and battle system are all amazing, and I highly recommend that everyone play it, as it may just steal your heart. And then Hannah said, it's got to be Cult of the Lamb. The roguelike uh, action and management sim elements balance out into a really fun gameplay loop, and I adore the cute character, horrifying monsters, and baller soundtrack. And finally, Sionji said, uh, Puyo Puyo Tetris 2 is pretty awesome. Even though I'm not quite good at puzzle games, I still find it pretty good, and I've been practicing my Tetris skills as well. Look out, Puzzle League. <laughs> so some uh, great recommendations there and a wide variety of game types. Um, thanks to everybody who chimed in on that thread. Next, we're going to move on to the Warp Zone quiz. And, uh, okay, Jason, so it's just you this time. This is the first time we've ever just had one person. Of course, this is really for everyone listening, so no one's going to hold it against you here uh, if uh, if you basically just, just... send me your energy, everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just listen carefully, and you can hear somewhere in the future people <laughs> shouting the answers at you. Yes, exactly. Um, so I'm going to give you clues here to identify three games that came out 10, 20, and 30 years ago, all during the month of November. Here we oh, go. That's a, that's a tough month for this. <laughs> Actually, you know, a lot of games come out in November, so yeah. I, I had to, I had my pick, and there's some. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you this: there aren't any sleeper hits in here. These are all okay. These are all bangers. All right. All right. So ten years ago, November of 2012, 
This Wii U game from Nintendo was actually 12 games in one and showcased the kinds of uh, asymmetric gameplay made possible by the Wii U gamepad. Also, this game is the biggest mashup of Nintendo franchises outside of the Super Smash Brothers series. Any guesses? My, my first gut and n- nothing else is jumping to mind is Nintendo Land. It is Nintendo Land. Hey. Nice job. This, was, uh, this game was kind of a sign of things to come now that we have uh, real-life Super Nintendo World areas uh, opening up at Universal Studios theme parks. So kind of fun to go back and revisit the game now. Absolutely. Um, it was actually bundled with the Wii U Deluxe set when the system launched. So this actually marks the uh, anniversary of the, uh, of the 10-year anniversary, I guess, of the Wii U launch as well. Can't believe it. <laughs> and just a shout out to New Super Mario Brothers U, also a great Wii U launch game. And I almost mentioned that one, but I have a certain fondness for Nintendo Land. <laughs> All right, 20 years ago in November of 2002, the clues are, this Nintendo release became a Nintendo GameCube classic by taking players through a labyrinthine planet called Talon 4 and taking them under the helmet to show us a classic Nintendo action adventure series from a whole new perspective. Any guesses? Yeah, a little, little Metroid on my shoulder is, uh, is telling me <laughs> Metroid Prime. Yep, that's exactly right. Metroid Prime. Also, Metroid Fusion launched that same month for Game Boy Advance. So I don't oh. know if it's, that's a hard month to beat if you're a Metroid fan. That's a really tough one. I, uh, I replayed Metroid Fusion last year in the, in the run-up to Metroid Dread. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, again, really hard to believe that it's been 20 years. Yeah, crazy. All right, so 30 years ago, November of 1992, the clues are, this Game Boy game was a sequel to one of the system's launch games and added some interesting things to classic Nintendo platforming, like a magic carrot that gave the hero bunny ears and the first ever appearance of Wario, who was the game's final boss. Any guesses? Super Mario Land 2? That's right. I don't suppose you know the subtitle Uh, for bonus points. (laughs) The six coins? Close. I'll give you that. It's the Super Mario Land 2 six golden coins. Six golden coins. It's crazy to think that Wario started out as a, as a boss, even though he's always kind of been an anti-hero at best. Yeah, absolutely. And then after this game, the Super Mario Land series kind of became the Wario Land series, and uh, he was the, the main protagonist from then on. He stole the whole series. <laughs> he did. <laughs> That's on brand, at least. <laughs> exactly. If he's not stealing something, then he's not being Wario. <laughs> All right, so I have now the audio bonus question. I'm going to play this twice, so if you know it right away, please hold your answer. Listen to this and tell me if you can uh, guess who who this is. All right. Who is that? I, I just no clue. No, um, I'll even get specific with it. That is... Um, Adult Link from uh, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Wow. <laughs> Specific game and everything. That is correct. Nice job. I don't suppose you can tell me what caused him to scream like that. Oh, that sounds like he's falling off of a high ledge. <laughs> All right. You are a The Legend of Zelda master. <laughs> that is exactly correct. And can you believe that that game turns 24 years old this month? Next year, it'll be 25 years old. That is Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Uh, I have, was just back on my Nintendo 3DS uh, not too long ago. I guess it's been a, a few years now, but playing uh, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D. And um, it sounds like it's time for another replay soon. It is. That actually, that Nintendo 3DS version of the game is my favorite version. I love playing it with the 3D on maximum blast. And I love how they upped the graphics in it and all of the new kind of additions they made to it. 
But there's always something to be said for experiencing the original in its true form. And, um, and you know, maybe you'll want to play that on Nintendo Switch Online Plus Expansion Pack because uh, it's a great reason to... Uh, to, to get the service, I guess. Absolutely. I've got a, I've got a few different options, but the, uh, I think getting my uh, Nintendo 64 uh, NSO controller out is is probably chief among them and maybe playing a little bit closer to home because I think, yeah, the last time I played it was um, the, the 3DS version, and then the time before that was actually the Nintendo GameCube Master Quest. Oh, so wow. It's been a long time since I've played the just original, so... Uh, yeah, no, I, my, my fires are stoked. I'm ready to, to head to, uh, to Mount Doom. Nice. All right. I'll have to join you on that, I think. All right, next up is Game Forecast. And here we're going to take a quick look at just some of the Nintendo Switch games that either released here recently or are coming soon. Um, starting on November 1st, we had Lonesome Village from Ogre Pixel. Then on November 3rd, it was Ghost Song from Humble Games and to Totally Accurate Battle Simulator from Landfall Games. On November 4th, we had Harvest Stella from Square Enix and It Takes Two from Electronic Arts. On November 8th, Oddworld uh, Odd Soulstorm from Microids, Sifu from Slowclap, and Sonic Frontiers from Sega. On November 10th, Aragami 2 from Merge Games. On November 11th, Atari 50, the anniversary celebration from Atari, and Tactics Ogre Reborn from Square Enix. On November 15th, uh, 15th we had Ruby Arrowfell from Way Forward. On November 18th, Finding Paradise from XD Network, and of course, Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet from Nintendo. Uh, coming up on November 22nd, we have Just Dance 2023 edition from Ubisoft. And on December 1st, Romancing Saga Minstrel Song Remastered from Square Enix. And another Square Enix game on December the 9th, Dragon Quest Treasures. And uh, again, those are just some of the games available now uh, or available for pre-order. Um, Jason, that's a pretty big list of some pretty <laughs> cool stuff. Is there anything on there that you're especially looking forward to? Well, obviously, Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet. Um, but beyond those, uh, there's just a lot to love. Um, i not looking forward to it, but I will give a plug for It Takes Two. I just finished this with my wife uh, about a week ago. And it is uh, one of the most wildly creative experiences I've had in a long time. It's it's forced multiplayer, so you have to have two people to play it. Um, the story is really interesting, and it, it's kind of um, structured in a way where you're kind of moving through a bunch of different worlds that have different mechanics, and they give the characters different uh, abilities and whatnot. And, and so it's a, a game that... Um, it stays fresh throughout the, its runtime. Um, I think personally, the one that I that I haven't checked out that I, I think is um, top of my top of my interest level for for that list of titles. Um, I'm actually going to give it to two. Uh, Harvestella I think um, looks really really cool, and as someone who uh, fell madly in love with Animal Crossing New Horizons a, a couple years ago, um, the idea of a uh, JRPG mixed with a uh, farming sim with uh, a lot of the the story conceits and stuff that have been shown for Harvestella seems really interesting to me. And then Sifu uh, is, seems like a really cool project that um, I believe it's an indie uh, and the, the team made uh, basically a full uh, kung fu style game that has its own proprietary like combat system, which I think uh, has always looked really cool. 
Uh, I also loved Sleeping Dogs uh, from about 10 years ago now. And it had some of that same uh, kind of uh, old school kung fu flavor. So this this one's been on my radar for a while, and it's great to see it on Nintendo Switch soon. Yeah, I want to try that one too, Sifu. And um, and I haven't played it yet, but I've you know I've also heard the hook that when you when you lose or die or whatever happens, uh, your character ages. So the more that happens, the older he gets to the point where you're, you're no longer the young, you know, kung fu guy. You're like the aged. Why you know wise kung fu master I guess so that's really uh, a little bit intimidating like I'm like yeah. I've only got so many tries I guess how but, many uh, ways can I be reminded of my own mortality <laughs> but still I've never heard of anything like that before so for that reason alone it's worth checking out um, for me personally um, of course everything you said sounds great Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet obviously um, and I'm really curious about Sonic Frontiers seeing how Sonic's going to play in an open world. Um, so that's definitely on my radar. But one thing I wanted to give a shout out to, just because again, I'm a I love classic gaming, um, is Atari 50, the anniversary celebration. Um, you know, at first, you know, glance, I thought, okay, this sounds like another collection, maybe even of 50 games for 50 years. It's actually over 100 games taken from across seven different Atari systems, um, including some of their later systems like Atari Jaguar, which I've never really seen that kind of collection before. I actually got my start uh, as a gamer on an Atari 2600. That's wild. Um, yeah, and uh, and you know this collection has this kind of interactive timeline where you can like read design documents for some of the old games and all this other historical info, and uh, and supposedly it's added six new games as well that are inspired by some Atari classics, um, and I think one of the games is supposed to be Airworld. And uh, as anyone who's maybe ever read Ready Player One might know, Airworld was supposed to be the fourth game in the Sword Quest series, which was a pretty big adventure series for Atari, but it was never released. So um, pretty cool. I mean, of course, you know, old Atari 2600 games are more just kind of curiosities than they are like, you know, 20 hour engaging, <laughs> you know, epic sagas. But, um, you know, as a guy who grew up around Atari, uh, it's definitely a lot there for me to dig into and check out. So I'm excited for that. Absolutely. I love I love the care that some of those, um, we'll just say in quotes, museum collections receive. Uh, I know Namco's done a few of those, and Atari obviously does a great job as well. Um, it's, it's wonderful to see the preservation of some of those kind of almost vaporware titles where mm-hmm. you just – you've heard rumors and, and hushed tones for, you know, decades now. And, uh, you know, and, and then we see stuff like Airworld and Star Fox 2 come out. So um, love to see that continued, uh, you know, look back uh, to the history of, of Atari and, and other, uh, other game makers. Absolutely. I mean, I think if you're a Nintendo fan for like a long time Nintendo fan – you can certainly appreciate um, history and legacy when it comes to great video games. Absolutely. Well, Jason, that's it. Thanks so much for coming on the show and sticking it out for the full run here. Um, and I want to say thanks again to Carolyn and Ari for jumping uh, on the show earlier. Hope everyone enjoys Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet. Jason, I know you will be. Oh, yes. Oh, hey. yes. Sprigatito and I are uh, one foot out the door to adventure. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we'll catch you next time. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. Bye. That's it for this episode of Nintendo Power Podcast. If you have any comments or questions you'd like us to consider answering on the show, you can email us at nintendopowerpodcast at noa.nintendo.com. Also, we always appreciate it if you can leave us a review, and be sure to subscribe so you get new episodes as soon as they're ready. Thanks for listening, and keep playing with power.